bridge Let's travel the world together She can make it easy and in any kind of weather No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down She's talking from the skies and sending lots of feel-good sounds Oh, Betty, in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt Betty and the Jets Oh, she's weird and wonderful Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen She's wearing high heel shoes Got her wings on too You know I've never seen a better stew Oh, Betty and the Jets Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. In this episode, we have stories about St. Martin, food fights, priests, Africa, cats, Mexico, Nicaragua, condoms, Chile, plane exhausts, boobs, and bras. Let's get on with the show. I took a little trip to St. Martin in the Caribbean. I've been there before. Uh, I found this great deal on a hotel. And um, the first night I get there, it's like an early dinner. And this woman who said she was traveling by herself, seemed perfectly nice, said, do you mind if I sit at the next table? And I was like, sure. So we were sitting outside at different tables. And um, she seemed to want to have someone to talk to. And then I quickly found out she was um, a little on the cranky side. <laughs> you see this a lot in people um, when you're on a trip and it's understandable. You know, people have um, high expectations. You know, it's expensive to take a trip. You look forward to it for a long time. So sometimes your expectations are just too high. So dinner went something like this. Me. Oh, it's so pretty here. Oh my gosh, the island air just feels so good. And then she says, um, Aruba is nicer. It's really beautiful there. And I was like, oh, I'm sure. Uh, I haven't been there. I'd like to go sometime. But uh, isn't it so fun how the planes fly so close, like right over the beach? And she said, I had no idea the hotel was at the airport. I wouldn't have stayed here if I knew the hotel was at the airport. And I was like, oh, um, that's the whole point. That's the whole reason I stayed here. It's a tourist attraction. It's like one of the only places that the planes come right in over the beach. It's like so fun. You you can be in unbelievably blue water and practically touch a plane as it flies over you. It's fabulous. And she was like, but the planes, they come really close. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. It's so fun. I love it. And she said, but the planes come so close to our hotel. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. She's like, I should have stayed somewhere else. <laughs> then she goes, plus, there is no one here. It's like the island is deserted. I'm like, isn't it fabulous? It's great. We're so lucky. Normally, it'd be really crowded. And she was like, I wish there were more people here. <laughs> Two different perspectives. So we're working a flight back to the United States and, uh, This is kind of an odd thing to say, but it's the way it's been recently. There's a lot of 
Africans from Africa traveling and people from India, um, the passenger load looks a lot different than it used to. And maybe it's just because they don't have as much COVID in Africa, or maybe there aren't as many restrictions. I don't know. But there's a lot of Africans traveling. And uh, there was a woman dressed in kind of like native garb and like a headdress. And she was older. And I'm about to go on crew rest. And you get all excited. You've been waiting, you know, it's been like hours. And it's now your turn. You're like, yippee, time to go take a nap. And she stops me. And it's always like when someone stops you when you're on your way to crew rest, you're like, oh, darn. But you know, I'm like, yes, can I help you? And she said, I need you to go find a dark skinned man in the back. And I said, uh, they're like all dark skinned men in the back. I mean, there's probably like 50. And, uh, <laughs> and there's only there's only like 100 passengers. I mean, it's like half the plane is dark skinned men. And I said, well, why do you need to find a dark skinned man? I mean, this all sounds bad, but this is, this is what happened. And she said, it's my son. And I need him to help me to go to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, I'm thinking, well, okay. And uh, I said, well, what's his seat number? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, uh, how am I going to find him? And she said, well, his name's Dennis. And I was like, all right, I got to go ask. This is what I'm thinking. I got to go ask 50 men if their name is Dennis. So I go to the back. And uh, so the other people that were on crew rest have gotten up. And one of my friends is there. And she's just a peach. <laughs> and I said to her, I got a chore for you. And it's going to it's kind of a big chore. She's like, oh, hey, what is it? And I said, you need to go around the plane and ask all the dark-skinned men if their name is Dennis. And she's like, what? And I said, uh, the, the woman in the premium select cabin, she, there's a woman in the premium cabin and she's got a headdress on and she needs to find her son to go to the bathroom. And she said, he's a dark-skinned man and his name is Dennis. And she goes, okay. Just like that. She's like, okay, I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> Go ask everyone if their name's Dennis. And I was thinking, she's a gem. I found this in one of my journals uh, from many, many years ago. The 10 things that make a perfect hotel. Location, quick and quiet elevators, a sheet on top of the blanket, or a duvet cover so you never have to touch a blanket in case it hasn't been washed, pillowcases that cover the entire pillow and have some excess so you never have to touch the actual pillow, Uh, no shower curtains, mildew, stick to you, all that, breakfast included, no stray hairs or any other personal effects that are not yours, free Wi-Fi, no weird child beauty pageants or sex conventions, actually, No conventions of any kind, a soothing color scheme, and quiet. (sighs) Several years ago, we were diverted to Miami because two passengers um, began to be at odds with one another. (laughs) At odds. (laughs) Over a tray table or a seat back or something. We're not sure. But what we are sure of is that they began to smear hummus, which was in our snack packs, snack packs at that time. They began to smear the on this, each other. On each other, they the the lady uh, just took it out and just literally put it on the other lady's face. Oh my god! 
And the one woman said, you did not just do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how it kind of started. And she put hummus on? Yes, she actually put sour cream and <laughs> marinara sauce. And the next thing you know, I, I tried to tell them, you know, that, that this was, you know, going to um, have consequences that they, did, that they were not going to be happy with. They needed to just, you know, stop. But it, would, it had just gotten too far out of control. And the next thing you know, they were being pulled off of our aircraft. But you diverted because of hummus. Of hummus. It's like a food, airline food fight. That's exactly what it was, <laughs> literally. And they were fighting and kicking and oh everything gosh. else and trying to still smear each other all the way off the aircraft. <laughs> it's a story I'll never forget. So I was uh, taking the train uh, at the airport. There's this train that goes from the rental car center also to some um, hotels and then to the airport. So I get off that train and uh, about to walk to the airport, just like across the street. And this woman says to me, rather frantic, she's like, "Uh, how do I get to gate B5? And I'm like, well, you're not in the airport yet. And she said, what? I said, well, we're not in the airport yet. First, we got to walk to the airport. Then you're in the airport. Then you can check in. Then you can go through security. And then you can find your gate. And she said, no, no, no. I need to find gate B5. And I'm like, yeah, but we're not in the airport yet. I said, just follow me. A few episodes ago, I was reading from my old journals when I just started traveling. And I thought I had gone through all of them. And I found a whole bunch more. So I'm going to read you little parts from them uh, in this episode, uh, throughout the episode. This one is from November 20th, 2004. Does anyone not want to go to Africa? Does anyone not want to see vast open plains with animals running free and wild? I think I've wanted to go to Africa for about as long as I can remember. I clearly recall crying when watching the movie Born Free and wanting to see the animals for myself. As I am ending this two-week first safari, I am certain there will be others, unless I start cranking out babies, lose my job, or lose some limbs in some crazy, clumsy accident. I suppose this is my third trip to Africa, if you count Morocco in 2000, but most people in the West don't consider Morocco as Africa. This trip is courtesy of my deceased parents, who left me a vast sum of $3,000, A fortune to them, seeing how they were born in 1920, but doesn't really go that far these days. But they love to travel, and they would have loved to... I spent my entire inheritance on one trip to a country they would have loved to see. I went on a Kenyan and Tanzanian lodge safari that was far swankier than my usual mode of travel. And quite frankly, I don't prefer the comfort sort of travel. I much prefer the adventure travel with an occasional splurge. The civilized crowd tend to lose a lot of the local flavor in exchange for four-course meals, so true. That said, I still thoroughly enjoyed myself despite the luxury curtain. And the thing that's funny about this is that um, that's two pages in a journal and then for my Africa trip and then nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. I had had good intentions and uh, didn't follow through. Is there something else happened? Well, once on boarding, um, a little lady was not happy with 
something that I don't know I again I just was witnessing this <laughs> but the little passenger hauled off and slapped and punched the flight attendant and um, the little lady was about a 70 or 80 year old woman she's the one that hit and she just got mad about something and it was at the boarding door and she uh, just hauled off and slapped and just started punching on oh the, the flight attendant standing at the door I'll never forget that one either but like, what did the flight attendant do? Because it's like you don't—you're not going to want to hit an old lady, right? Uh, you know, I—I I, I can't even remember. I just remember it was in such shock. But I think we all were. I was in a fight with an eighty-year-old. <laughs> this comes from listener Steve. He is so good at sending me things. This is called "The Pilot and the Priest." A priest dies and is waiting in line at the pearly gates. Ahead of him is a guy who's dressed in sunglasses, a loud shirt, leather jacket, and jeans. St. Peter addresses this cool guy. Who are you? So that I may know whether or not to admit you into the kingdom of heaven. The guy replies, I'm Bruce, retired airline pilot from Toronto. St. Peter consults his list. He smiles and says to the pilot, Take this silken robe and golden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. Next, it's the priest's turn, and he stands tall and booms out, I'm Father Bob, pastor of St. Mary's for the past 43 years, knowing he was going to get the golden everything. St. Peter consults his list, says to the priest, Take this cotton robe and wooden staff and enter the kingdom. Wait just a minute, says the good father. That man was a pilot, and he gets a silken robe and golden staff, and I only get cotton and wood? How can this be? Up here, we go by results, says St. Peter. When you preached, people slept. When he flew, people prayed. I had a little chat with Anne from lifeplays.com. I ask people for stories on the airplane, flight attendants, pilots, uh, people I meet, and um, it usually goes something like this. Uh, hey, do, do you have a funny story? And then um, they go, no. <laughs> you know, which is one of those <laughs> rules in improv where you're not supposed to say no. And then, um, then I have to uh, start telling stories and then bringing up subjects. Basically, I have, to, I have to give them so much, and lots of times I get nothing back. <laughs> it's frustrating but right. like now if i asked you like um uh hey do you have a a, a quick funny story yes <laughs> yes i know i do like i love that it that's what improv's done for me like i love that i went oh i might you know like my default is open right if it, i just went oh let me see let me see let me let, let me see um you know i have stories of definitely of using my improv skills in the real world all the time. Oh, can you tell um, me one of those? Well, just so simple things like arriving, you know, at a theater, and this is where we're taking, you know, cash and back in the olden days, and, like, somebody forgot the cash box. And there's, like, no, none of the improvisers spent a moment, like, you know, pointing fingers or thinking it's a problem. We just instantly enjoyed, what can we do? Okay, we'll get IFDs from people. Or, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's so beautiful to be able to, it's called yes and. Most right. people know that now. Yep. You know, the yes is accepting what arrives. And the and is moving forward with it. So the sooner you accept it, you can create. 
We all know, now more than ever, that life is change. If you or your company need new skills to navigate this moment-by-moment world, Life Plays Applied Improv is here for you. Life Plays, that's L-I-F-E-P-L-A-Y-S, offers fun and powerful practice in the presence, flow, and being comfortable in the unknown. Another journal entry, this one from January 24th, 2006. It's a wonder how often my mood swings as I begin a solo international journey. Planning at first is fun. Then it melds into frustrating and then on to excitement. True. I'm saying, (laughs) it's a weird thing. I'm saying, yes, I was right in 2006. But the night before in the morning, of morphs into a mild form of dread and hesitation. My mind whispers, you can still back out. This trip is to Baja, Mexico. It's whale season, and I'm itching for some excitement. I'm always more indecisive when I'm going it alone. But as the airplane descended and I could see the light blue water, I got excited again. And then, nothing. That's the end of the journal from 2006. Can you say short attention span? Anyone? I had a bit of a scare, an expensive scare. So uh, going to my annual mammogram and um, got the call you don't like that said you're going to have to come back and get a diagnostic mammogram. And it's like, oh, great. Nobody wants to go back. For another mammogram and then a um they said it may be a ultrasound and then I knew the ultrasound wasn't going well because they were taking a long time and they're going under my arm and I was like oh crap <laughs> sure enough they uh recommended a biopsy which uh really doesn't sound pleasant does it you know um they basically numb it like they do they said oh, it's like at the dentist and then they take a piece of your boob <laughs> anyway uh just at the beginning of the story, it turned out fine. It was benign, but uh, extremely unpleasant. Um, you know, it was like, okay, I'll have a numb boob. But uh, they didn't tell you there was all this pushing and pulling and smashing. My boob is still black and blue, and it's been a couple of weeks now. I mean, it, it huh, I mean, yowza. Uh, so a friend of mine, after the biopsy, I was just glad to have it done. Um, you know, was pushing and pulling and smashing and then taking pieces of it. Anyway, he was like, uh, how are you? How are you doing? And I'm like, I'm fine. But my boob was in a fight. So I've seen a lot, right? I always say, oh, I've seen it all. But you never can see it all. And then sometimes it's just odd things. So um, walking down the aisle like basically walking up the aisle. So I'm walking towards the cockpit with a bag for trash. And I see this woman has her bra, like a, like a underwire padded bra folded sitting on her tray table. And it's like, okay, (laughs) like there's nothing. It's not like it's illegal to have your bra sitting on the tray table. It's just odd. This next segment came from uh, Daniel on Twitter. Thank you so much. And it's a uh, cat jack. 
A Sudanese passenger plane was forced to turn back and make an emergency landing after a stray cat attacked the pilot. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. How does the cat get into the cockpit? How does that happen? I love that story. How does it? So was the cat just a regular passenger on the plane? Had too much to drink, got into the cockpit? The cat was legally on board, but in a cage. Oh. And it hid inside wiring in the cockpit. (laughs) What? Jeez. What was the uh, the name of the airline? The airline... um, uh, Cathay Pacific. uh, Taco Airline. Oh, sounds delicious. We've actually got some audio from on board. Uh, the plane, this is once they they had an issue in the cockpit. <laughs> Good news, though, they've already, uh, they're already making a movie about this. Oh, Excuse cool. me? They yeah, are yeah, indeed, yeah. yes. It's starring uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I have had it with these motherfucking cats. This is another journal entry. This one's a little bit longer. It's from May 26, 2006 in Nicaragua. We took a local boat from San Jorge to the island of Ometepe, which is an island in a lake with two twin perfect volcanoes. Our boat was overcrowded and we sat on the deck with lots of cargo. One of the locals yelled at me because I was sitting on a box of eggs. Oops. Before boarding, a local 18-year-old started trying to flirt with me. I explained that I was 41 years old, and he said in Spanish that he didn't care. (laughs) The locals all laughed. Now it's Saturday, May 27, 2006. We were picked up at 6.30 a.m. for a hike up the volcano in the middle of the lake on an island. Two young girls, Sarah and Megan, joined us from New England, ages 19 and 22. They were nice girls, but slow hikers, to be sure. They slowed down our progress on the way up. It took five hours. The one girl was way too talkative and too flirty with our guide named Fabre, who was a bit of a perv. He tried to kiss her at one point, and she took off alone. He also tried to hug me too close and even tried to kiss me. I'd have no part of it. Yuck! At the top of the volcano, we actually climbed, and I mean climbed, down into the crater, to the lake inside of the crater. An amazing sight to behold. But the water was cold and muddy. You could sink about two feet down into the mud. As one dreadlocked guy at the top said, That's just way too freaky, man. (laughs) The hike down was not very pleasant. Four hours, no breaks, and pouring rain. A mud river. I fell seven times, and Fabre kept trying to hold my hand. I was so wet and muddy and basically miserable. But I did hike that puppy. But it was a monster. I want to thank any of you who were so kind when you were going to go to Amazon. You took the couple seconds to go to my website, BettyInTheSky.com. You can even bookmark it to make it faster. You click on any of the ads. You click through. It doesn't cost you anymore, and it supports the show. And I like to see what people bought. I don't see the names, just what they bought. Somebody bought The Haunting of Train Car 105. I like this one. Murder Most Florid. Inside the Mind of a Forensic botanist. And right after my own heart, somebody bought Peeps Pink Marshmallow Chicks, probably for Easter. So thank you so much for going to my website, bettingthesky.com. Click through and thank you, thank you, thank you.
What happened? So my girlfriend had been studying in the Sorbonne, at the Sorbonne in France, and after she returned to New York, her French friends came to visit her. Nice. Yeah, they were excited to come to the United States for the first time, and uh, they were enjoying a meal, and Alice was explaining how in the United States, we have a lot of preservatives in our food, which they do not in France. Right. And she was speaking French and did not know the word for preservative, so she said preservatif. Well, all of her friends looked at her with eyes like saucers, so she repeated it again, preservatif. As turns out, preservatif means condom in French. <laughs> so she was telling them we have condoms in our food. <laughs> this also came from listener Steve. Thank you, Steve. You're a peach. Um, he had written me that because um, I'm in hotels so much, I might get a kick out of this, and I did. The following letters are taken from an actual incident between a London hotel and one of its guests last year. The hotel ended up submitting the letters to the Sunday Times. Dear maid, please do not leave any more of those little bars of soap in my bathroom since I brought my own full-sized imperial leather. Please remove the six unopened little bars from the shelf under the medicine chest and the other three in the shower soap dish. They're in my way. Thank you, Mr. Berman. Dear room 635, I'm not your regular maid. She will be back tomorrow, Thursday from her day off. I took the three hotel soaps out of the shower soap dish as you requested. The six bars on your shelf I took out of your way and put them on top of your Kleenex dispenser in case you should change your mind. This leaves only three bars I left today with my instructions from the management team are to always leave three soaps daily. I hope this is satisfactory. Kathy, relief maid. Dear maid, I hope you are my regular maid. Apparently, Kathy did not tell you about my note to her concerning the little bars of soap. When I got back to my room this evening, I found that you had left three little camays to the shelf under my medicine cabinet. I'm going to be here at the hotel for two weeks and have brought my own bath-size imperial leather. So I won't need those six little camays which are on the shelf. They are in the way when shaving, brushing teeth, etc., Please remove them. S. Berman. Dear Mr. Berman, the assistant manager, Mr. Kensiter, informed me this morning that you called him last night and said you are unhappy with your maid service. I have assigned a new girl to your room. I hope you will accept my apologies for the past inconvenience. If you have any future complaints, please contact me so I can give it my personal attention. Call extension 1108 between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m., Thank you, Elaine Carmen, housekeeper. Dear Miss Carmen, it is impossible to contact you by phone since I leave the hotel for business at 7.45 a.m. and don't get back before 5.30 or 6 p.m. That's the reason I called Mr. Kensiter last night. You were already off duty. I only asked Mr. Kensiter if he could do anything about those little bars of soap. The new maid you assigned me must have thought I was a new check-in today since she left another three bars of hotel soap in my medicine cabinet along with her regular delivery of three bars in the bathroom shelf. In five days here, I have accumulated 24 little bars of soap. Why are you doing this to me? S. Berman. Dear Mr. Berman, your maid, Kathy, has been instructed to stop delivering soap to your room and to remove the extra soap bars. If I can f offer any further assistance, please call extension 1108 between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. 
Thank you, Elaine Carmen, housekeeper. Dear Mr. Kensiter, my bath size imperial leather soap is missing. Every bar of soap was taken from my room, including my own bath size imperial leather. I came in last night and had to call the bellhop to bring me four little cashmere bouquets. S. Berman. Dear Mr. Berman, I have informed our housekeeper, Elaine Carmen, of your soap problem. I cannot understand why there was no soap in your room since our maids are instructed to leave three soap bars each time they service a room. The situation will be rectified immediately. Please accept my apologies for the inconvenience. Martin Kensiter, Assistant Manager. Dear Mrs. Carmen, who the hell left 54 little bars of camay in my room? I came in last night and found 54 bars of soap. I don't want 50 little bars of camay. I want my one damn bath size imperial leather. Do you realize I have 54 bars of soap in here? All I want is my bath size imperial leather soap. Please give me back my bath size imperial leather. S. Berman. Dear Mr. Berman, you complained of too much soap in your room, so I had them removed. Then you complained to Mr. Kensiter that all of your soap was missing, so I personally returned them. The 24 camays which had been taken and the three camays you're supposed to receive daily. I don't know anything about four cashmere bouquets. Obviously, your maid, Kathy, did not know I had returned your soaps, so, so she also brought 24 camays plus three daily camays. I don't know where you got the idea that this hotel issues bath size imperial leather. I was able to locate a bath size ivory, which I left in your room. Elaine Carmen, housekeeper. Dear Mrs. Carmen, just a short note to bring you up to date on my latest soap inventory. As of today, I possess on the shelf under the medicine cabinet, 18 camay on the Kleenex dispenser, 11 camay. On the bedroom dresser, one stack of cashmere bouquet, a stack of four hotel-size ivory, and eight camay in two stacks of four. In the medicine cabinet, 14 camay in three stacks of four and a stack of two. In the shower soap dish, six camay, very moist. On the northeast counter of the tub, one cashmere bouquet, slightly used. On the northwest corner of the tub, six camays in two stacks of threes. Please tell Kathy when she services my room to make sure the stacks are neatly piled and dusted. Also, please advise her that the stacks of more than four have a tendency to tip. May I suggest that my bedroom windowsill is not in use and will make an excellent spot for future soap deliveries. One more item. I have purchased another bar of bath size imperial leather, which I am keeping in the hotel vault in order to avoid further misunderstandings. S. Berman. So I'm in St. Martin, and I've been there before um, in the same area on a layover and uh, for work, and um, I had been in the water when uh, the plane went overhead, I thought it was very exciting. So this time I thought, I'm going to go take my blanket and put it down and lay in the sand and then um, see the plane go right over top and, and uh, film it. So I'm like, oh, right. Hike over there, lay down my blanket. And um, the thing is, you can, there's a schedule in St. Martin, but lots of times, gosh darn planes, 
they're early or late. <laughs> so anyway, um, I'm waiting for the plane to go overhead, and uh, I have my my camera and um. I had been in the water before when a plane was taking off and it kind of like pushed around and I was like, ah, fun. It was fun. I thought it was fun. And so um, this time I was in the sand and uh, there were some other tourists there and um, the plane took off and we got uh, sandblasted. <laughs> it was much better in the water than in the sand. You know, um, it's best not to be behind a plane that's taking off in general. <laughs> But I will have to say that it is really exciting. The planes just like, they just appear out of the clouds and then they come by so fast and then go over you and it's like, woohoo! This is the last journal entry for this podcast. And um, if you guys don't like them, you can always let me know. Uh, the, the feedback I've been getting is good. And um, it's really... It's weird to say. It's interesting to me. My journals are interesting to me because um, your memory is different. You tend to only remember the bigger things or the good things. And when I'm reading some of these journals, like some of it, I really don't remember. Uh, it's It reminds me to keep journaling as I'm traveling. So in the future, <laughs> this is getting a little weird, Um I'll be able to remember the things that I will most likely forget in the future. Okay, so this is from Chile in 2007, and I titled it Lost Girl in Chile. Less than 3% of the population of Chile speaks any English. That had changed by now. This was 2007. I found this out from the one guy I have found in three days to speak English. I've had an easier time conversing in Asia, Africa, Jordan, etc. It's daunting at first to not be able to make a phone call, use the internet, get a taxi. I found myself crying to myself in my room. I could not accomplish the simplest task. It's like a bad dream. But I'm getting over the quote-unquote landing blues, and I'm thinking of myself as a blonde in a sea of brown. I also, um, this is, I had a thing here. Leave a note to myself. Take clothes and leave them everywhere you go. Because I like the idea of leaving a small piece of me everywhere instead of just taking. To think some of my shirts and a book will remain on Rapa Nui, possibly passed from person to person, it's so much better than bringing home trinkets. I'm writing my thoughts in a smoky bar in Santiago, drinking a Pisco Sour, which is like a lemon margarita. I've seen four tourists in three days. My hotel costs $40 in a quaint neighborhood. The Crown Plaza, two blocks away, costs $250, so I get like six nights for the price of one. But my hotel has an elevator with a home-style door, and it sounds as if the building is falling down as it operates. The only person I've met in Chile who spokes English asked me to marry him. <laughs> How sweet. I'm going to leave the rest of this for another podcast because it goes on to going to Easter Island, Rapa Nui, 
and I have two quotes from a book that I was reading at the time by Jennifer Vanderbest called Easter Island, a novel. And I remember I really enjoyed reading that. It's really good to read a book about where you're going, even if it's fiction. Uh, you get a lot of the history still before you're going, and it gets you excited about where you're going. And these are the two quotes. It's the only known instance in the history of mankind in which a people destroyed themselves by building monuments to their dead. She also wrote in that book, the Moai, which are the big statues, the big head statues, didn't look outward as one would imagine. They faced inward, staring at the island, their backs to the ocean, as if these people, thousands of miles from other humans, had over generations lost knowledge of the outside world. That's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye. Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.